Hello, listeners, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of World Forge. World Forge is a podcast by creators and for creators, where we use random prompts to invent just about anything you can imagine. Together, we'll make heroes and villains, ancient monsters and magical cities. And our hope is that we inspire all the other creators and storytellers out there listening to do the same. So, without any further ado, I'm Sam. And I'm Piper. And welcome to World Forge. everybody welcome back to another fabulous episode of world forge sam how you doing uh, i'm doing very good i'm very very happy to be back in the studio this week after what has been a, a tumultuous and stressful week for us I think. yeah we were kind of wondering if maybe we weren't going to be able to record this week but yeah. we did it after after all yeah there was uh if you follow us on twitter you probably have seen that we had we were attacked by uh, our pipes <laughs> and our entire apartment slash recording studio was completely torn up. We were out, we were stuck outside of our place, basically uh, temporarily homeless for about five days here while they repaired everything. And we really like just this morning kind of finished reassembling everything. It's now Saturday. So uh, mm-hmm. it's been a very, very trying time, but like a Phoenix, we rise <laughs> from the ashes of the ruins of our apartment. Uh, you see what I, you see what I did there, Piper? Yeah, no, I, I definitely saw that. Um, but one uh, thing that we did to help us recover from this is we, we brought a special guest, uh, here today to help us talk about, uh, what happens when things fall to ruin and how to rebuild from that. Uh, guest, what is your name? Tommy. Oh, hey, yeah. Tommy. Yeah, it's my terrible Same brother. brother. Yeah. It's your fabulous brother, Tommy. Hi. And I specialize in ruining things, so oh. yeah, it's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's why we welcomed you, obviously. Yeah. I had a perfect life as an only child going on until you just popped into the world and just destroyed everything for me. So, yeah, yeah you are uniquely qualified. And look at our close relationship. <laughs> yeah. Dang. As I'm good at ruining things, but I'm also great at make building things back up yeah absolutely yeah, absolutely i would say so yeah so thank you for joining us today tommy <laughs> for sure so we're going to be talking about and creating some really cool ruins that you could use as places to explore in your D games places to explore in your you know your fan fictions your stories just like we do every week um your and we're fiction. obviously <laughs> gonna come on if there aren't any fanfiction.net users in our listener audience I, I would be very surprised here yeah who are specifically using the ruin hashtag in their fanfic probably probably Right. Look, I'm not trying to. We're we're trying to be inclusive of everybody here. Sure. Um, if you are in need of some fun dungeons or places for your party to explore, we've got you covered this week. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite ex- uh, examples of ruins from the real world, from video games, from some of our D and D games, uh, and building something new together here for you all to hopefully use as a fun little uh, location for your adventures. So, uh, as always uh we can go ahead and just jump in and start with some of our favorite examples from from pop culture uh so tommy you have what we always refer to as podcast prima nocta here as our guest so you can go ahead and start us off with some of your inspirations do you have any cool ruins that you want to talk about here well ruins i've always been fascinated by uh specifically is pompeii (laughs) pompeii is something that i find so fascinating because it's it literally preserved time in the moment. There, there are multiple people that you saw, like, for instance, running from their lives and they're literally frozen in time. There's, yeah, you could see it's almost a living interpretation of like the panic and, and tragedy of what happened at Pompeii. Mm-hmm. It's actually incredible. 
it, it's yeah, it's sort of like seeing like a a photograph or a painting or yeah. something like that, yeah. but rendered in real life. You're, it's, yeah, it's you're a totally statue right. of yeah. what was happening at the time. Yeah, there, there's there's one specifically of two people who are hugging, and in their last moments, they they died embracing each other, and they're frozen in time forever. That's so sweet. You know what? Okay, not to like ruin the beautiful imagery of <laughs> and and the poetry. I, I think of Piper never does Pompeii itself, but it's really funny that you mentioned that because honestly, I have thought to myself. Many a time when doing random shit, I'm like, what if Pompeii happened right now? Like, anytime I do something weird, like if I'm, I don't know, on the toilet or like doing something weird and I'm like, what if I was just frozen in this moment and this is how people saw me? What would they think of me? Mm. That's what, that's the image that Pompeii has put into my mind. It makes me always constantly aware of the weird things that I'm doing and how that might be interpreted by, I don't know, future generations. That's why I always try to look really cool. So if if I ever were to just die in a split second, I would know that historians would look back at me as the coolest guy in all of all of history. Oh, so, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to be fair, if you were caught on your toilet, like on your phone, just frozen in time, I feel like that would be a valid way to explain what society's like right now. I mean, like yeah. every, everyone <laughs> has really would, everyone has yeah. their own like toilet time on the on their phone, <laughs> yeah. where like you play games or you read something or you do anything on the phone. It, it's it's your time. No, it's so and, true. That's fair. Yeah. Everyone does it. No no shame. Everyone yeah. does it. Totally, totally. I guess maybe it's more of like, oh, why was this person dancing by herself in front of a bunch of stuffed animals? I don't mm-hmm. know. Like what was this what was the situation here? What was she trying to enact? Yeah. You know, I don't know. This is these are the things that, you know, we ask ourselves. Absolutely. I do love that example though, and I think that is an interesting thing to kind of twist into the into like a story right if you are trying to establish a certain mood for a, a particular set of ruins that maybe your D party is going through you could kind of look at all of the there maybe there's a bunch of like skeletons or bodies that are kind of preserved like cave paintings right you could look at all of the things that this society was doing when their end came and that tells you a lot about that society it tells you what things were important to them and it tells you what kinds of things they did every day you know maybe you do see a bunch of people dancing and celebrating you would see that this is a society that values music and the arts or if you see a bunch of people they were if they were fighting in their final moments you would see this is a civilization that would maybe was on the brink of failure to begin with, right? I think that could be a really, really cool way to set the tone for a location that your party is visiting. If, if you say, we need to preserve this memory, or maybe this is a memory in a, in a culture that it's dangerous if we if we dig too deeply into this, maybe they were corrupted and we, we don't want to follow their path and make the same mistakes as them. I think that's a really cool kind of idea. No, I agree. I feel like the one of the interesting things about archaeology and things like that is finding elements of everyday life. It's not so much where like the movies, you know, it's all about treasure hunting, right? About like finding, oh, what is this like idol or this gold piece? But uh, one thing I think is really actually cool about actual archaeology is the idea of being like, well, these are the everyday bowls and tools that these people used. And it kind of gives you a glimpse of daily life, which I am honestly often more interested in to find out about. I think it's it's really cool to know what people were doing and kind of how it compares to what we do now. Absolutely. If you're talking about the daily life of uh, a, something that's been alive previously, you could argue that bones like dinosaur bones or mammoth bones or anything is also an indication of what something was doing in the last moments of its life. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Certainly. Th- yeah. Those are 
sort of ruins in themselves. They, it, they tell a story. Yeah. It's know? like, you know, it's like how oftentimes when we find a T-Rex skeleton, they're hugging another T-Rex skeleton, just <laughs> mm-hmm. like in Pompeii. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But they're, yeah. they're little, they can't quite they're, hug each yeah. other. They're more so like, they're like kissing, but their arms are like reaching towards each other. They Aww. can't touch each other. The greatest Cute. tragedy of uh, T-Rex is that they had huge backs and a lot of knots all the time, but they couldn't mm-hmm. give each other back rubs. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, so sad. So sad. Um, I think I might want to jump in uh, with one of my other fictional examples. Um, so one of the first things that came to mind for me, and I feel like I've talked about this a decent amount on the podcast, so stop me if it's too familiar. But um, so this flying city of Laputa from the movie oh Castle God. in the Sky, that I think is a beautiful ruin example. Uh, Tommy's shrugging his shoulders. He's like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> He's um, not quite as cultured as us. Well, in, in case you're like Tommy and you're not familiar, um, in the Hayao Miyazaki film uh, Castle in the Sky, it's the, the two main characters are trying desperately to get to this this mythical flying castle flying kingdom that's like kind of up in the air and when they finally get there a lot of it is it's in shambles it's falling apart and really what's holding it together is the fact that at the center of the city there's this great tree and there's a crystal in the middle of the tree that is keeping it afloat that's why it can fly in the first place but you kind of see elements as these two characters walk through the the remaining like elements of the city of this once ancient kingdom, it, you can tell that it is really the fact that the roots of the tree are holding these buildings together. That's why it's still present. Um, and one of the cool things about Laputa is the fact that it has this kind of ancient century, these robots that have been around forever to protect it. And these are the elements that have allowed people on Earth to know that the kingdom exists because these robots have, for whatever reason, fallen to Earth in different occasions. Um, And so when they finally get there, they find other creatures like this uh, who are just covered in roots and they're so overgrown by all these plants, but they're still just kind of going through the tasks that they've always done. They're taking care of the garden and they're caring after the the little creatures that live on Laputa. And it's this idea that it's it's falling apart and it's everything is crumbling beneath them, but they're still going about their, their routine because that's what they know. Yeah. And I think there's something beautiful about that. I like that a lot. I think the thing that's kind of interesting about those sentries, too, is that when you first meet them, they're kind of positioned as these big Terminator-like bad guys, right? They, they seem evil. They just show up, and they've got – they're insanely powerful. They've got these kind of laser beams they can shoot from their eyes. They can fly around. They're super mobile, and they're scary. You just can't – you don't know what they are or where they came from, right? And you learn later – that, you know, they're basically like the iron golems from Minecraft. They're just these big friendly guys that kind of, they just want to do their job and they want to protect this city. And there's a lot of really interesting parallels to with the city that I think, I, I think it ties into like an Atlantis or a Lemuria. It's this lost magical city that it's sort of ascended beyond what normal humans are kind of allowed to achieve or allowed to find on their own. It's really, really cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, it makes me think of Tommy. This is maybe a reference you'll get, obviously, is that, uh, in Age of Mythology, when you play as the Atlanteans, you can get the automatons, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what they are. They're sort of these mechanical sentries that guard the city. And they, they have uh, this one sole purpose that they're meant to fulfill. It's really, really cool. It sort of reminds me of the Dwemer from Elder Scrolls that they're, yeah. they're, they they have centurions, giant bronze. Everything's made of bronze in, yes. in the Dwemer. <laughs> and everything has a mechanical guard or or from fallout how all the households have the uh what are they called mr mr fix it or mr helper yeah or, 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 or yeah. mr 
kill the bad guys or it's like a, deputy something or yeah, doctor deputy they all have like a bone like a it's like a million little arms and one is like a bone saw and one is a syringe and everyone and has one a bone is a saw. little hand yeah no matter yeah. what it is everyone has a bone saw it's like a handmaid that has a bone saw for an arm and then also can cradle a baby in the other arm yeah it's so good it's so good i i feel like Priority. followed is kind of like the really over-the-top goofy mm-hmm. you know like exaggerated example of that i love that <laughs> <laughs> Although, if you want to talk about Fallout, I mean, that's like a world that is in ruins itself. It's like when you yeah. finally emerge from the bunker and you go out into the surface world, I mean, everything is just shambles of what used to be. And you kind of walk around this ruined civilization. I feel like Fallout strikes such a great chord there because specifically every place you go in Fallout is a real world location. Yeah. You know, every Fallout game takes place in a major city in the United States. And so you can say, oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the Washington DC area. When I play Fallout 3, I know about what, what the National Mall looks like. I've been in the Library of Congress or I've been to the Washington Monument or I've been to, you know, all these different places. So you get to sort of see this different look at that. Um, or, you know, if you play New Vegas, you, you know, if you've been to Las Vegas, you're like, I know about casinos. I know, but there's this sort of energy that kind of matches this real world thing and i think leveraging those sort of cultural touchstones and that familiarity is a really really powerful tool for for telling these stories well it's the next step it doesn't have ruins are shrouded by wonder you like you can only speculate what was going on at the time like what civilization was doing what they what technology was oh, yeah. um, prominent at the time in follow you have a, a time stamp on it and you know exactly what was going on you know what i mean obviously fallout is a little different from what the actual 1950s yeah, 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 yeah. was yeah. like yeah. but like you said you you understand what the washington monument was you understand all of these things so it it's 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 half the story and unlike yes. regular ruins like the Mayan ruins and like Chichen Itza and whatnot, you can only speculate. You only have somewhat a little bit of the story of what's yeah. going on. Yeah, I, I think it's 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 a completely different mindset with those types of ruins that it is with ancient ruins. No, totally. I agree with that a lot. I like the idea that it's interesting to play off of what we know now from like our current time period and then kind of jumping forward to the what if future and to say what if these normal national like landmarks were ruins we already have a context behind that kind of like what you're saying is we as viewers now looking at the past and what we find we have no idea what like you know was present then and we have to fill in the blanks with our imagination absolutely i I think that's actually a really cool segue into the first example that i had here which is easter island which I think the coolest thing about Easter Island is that we just don't know what the fuck was going on there. Like, I think that's so cool that it's just this island out in the middle of nowhere out in the, you know, in the Pacific where it's insane as, you know, modern people to fathom how someone could have gotten to or from this island, you know, without any kind of mechanical assistance. You know, if essentially the the greatest technology you had was like a canoe, you know, maybe that's derivative. Like, I I don't want to be insensitive to the the people of the ancient and powerful and noble people of Easter Island, right? But like, we don't really know anything about what technology was available to them. And the fact that they could essentially take, you know, a canoe made out of a tree and sail across the entire Pacific Ocean is incredible. And let alone... Uh, you know, aside from that, carve these crazy huge, like, you know, Maui heads and, and, and like make these huge sort of statues in honor of something we're not really familiar with. Like there's so many mysteries there that I think are really, really fascinating. Um, and that's another thing that I think is a, a, a great concept to, 
sort of wrangle is just the idea of the unknown that, you know, some ruins you'll have in anthropological background that you can sort of understand it. You can say, well, it's followed. I, you know, I know this location or I can read a computer, uh, you know, recording or a journal or something of somebody's experience in this location with a place like Easter Island. We don't have that. We just have to guess, you know, and I think that's really cool. Um, having your D and D party go to a place where, you know, maybe, maybe you're in like a really friendly, fun forest and suddenly you find a bunch of statues of like demons and, and you just have no idea why that would be the case. And you can see that they're thousands of years old, that they predate recorded history, right? What kinds of guesses would you make about the things that happened in this location when there's really no context for that whatsoever? I think that's really, really cool. See, one thing that I want to mention that's just kind of a fun fact that I learned from watching a recent documentary that was talking about Easter Island is you mentioned uh, trees specifically in carving, you know, your boats and your canoes. One thing that I saw in a recent documentary, and I'm I'm not remembering all the details super specifically, but was the idea that enough, uh, like scientists and anthropologists, like studied Easter Island, and they they came to the conclusion that at one point this was a very like jungle heavy environment, but it became clear yeah. that the people over deforested this area, and that led a great deal to why the civilization died. I mean, it almost feels as if Easter Island is kind of a Dr. Seuss story of being like, oh, well, you know, you took away all of the trees and then the, you know, the the great forest guardian was like, well, that's all. You can't live here anymore. There's nothing to live off of. And they kind of killed themselves. If the Lorax only, killed everybody. Yeah, so the, if Lor- only. the Lorax murdered everyone because he was so mad about deforestation. Exactly. Yeah, that was like the Onceler's first strike, I think. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, I agree. I, I think I read a thing once where they said, like, when the last tree on Easter Island fell, the last of the the last hope of the Easter Island people died or something like that like you yeah read that? I, no i like saw that no i seriously like i saw that somewhere where they were like this was what set off the decline of mm-hmm. of the you know they had no way after that of building something that would allow them to leave the you know they couldn't grow more trees they had no way of getting wood anymore yeah. after that because they cut down all their own trees because it was so remote mm-hmm. it was just an impossibility yeah yeah and just like the uh the lorax uh the last of the easter islanders they picked themselves up by the seat of their pants and they flew away <laughs> yes yeah. yeah certainly certainly mm-hmm. uh any other examples that you have here tommy for us of of ruins or well back- no, of your of your favorite colors uh, of my favorite <laughs> colors um well, don't even get me started on that. I can go yeah. on and on about my favorite. <laughs> That'd colors, be a whole but, other podcast. Um, yeah. Back to what we were talking about about Fallout ruins. You have you have context behind it because you can understand what human civilization was like at the time. I think a much more real set of ruins that you could take into consideration is anything that involves World War Two. Yeah. Um, you have entire cities and towns abandoned, destroyed by uh, war. And you can still get kind of a grasp of what everything was like before that. Like you have, uh, you have pianos in the streets or something. Like you could tell that that that, that thing was probably something very dear to an individual prior to the war, yeah. and then it was just abandoned in the streets while they tried to escape the city and in the horrors of war. I like this example of ruins that aren't from the distant past. Right, they're, they're things that became ruins yesterday. Right, yeah. you you can sort of see. 
a, a closer sort of snapshot of what, yeah, what were, what was important to people, right? If you had to leave your home today because of a natural disaster, because of, you know, an attack by your neighboring country or something, what would you grab? What would you leave behind? That says a lot about a, a people. It's yeah. like looking at the city of Chernobyl. You see yes. like classrooms that were just abandoned, like books still open on the desks and whatnot. It was, everyday life that was instantly changed for years to come it it, it was it it was frozen in time it's it's literally frozen in time yeah that's a really cool cool example and it it makes me think of um from the movie skyfall which is legit my favorite james bond movie is one of like so silva the the villain of that movie his like kind of bad guy fortress is this island which is actually a real location where it was this island um that had like a a nuclear meltdown essentially with you know the buildings that were there and everyone just kind of picked up and they evacuated and so it is just this abandoned city in the middle of nowhere and i just love that idea and i hadn't really thought about that until you just made that comparison now but it's very eerie a kind of modern setting where people just up and leave in a hurry so i think this would be kind of a cool exercise is think about your current D character if they suddenly were forced to drop everything and you know leave the, the place they're in like, let, let's say they're in, like, a tavern or something like that, right? What would they leave behind, right? What would they have been doing? I, I feel like, you know, if you want to pick your current D&D character or a character that you just enjoy playing that you think is really fun, you know, where would they be? What is the thing that if you just at any random moment had to freeze frame what they were doing, what is it they'd be doing? Um, if I wanted to talk about uh, Dr. Uh, Ricard Morvo uh my my spooky necromancer character who's just obsessed with taking people apart and putting them back together i think he almost certainly would be uh at a table with just a bunch of different organs you know like a bunch of different like bloody body parts around him and he would just leave all that behind and you know the anthropologists who come in afterwards would be like why is there a human arm a dwarven liver an elven spleen and like I don't know what that thing is. You know what I mean? Like, I think that would be a really fun thing to see. It's just a massacre that was abandoned in (laughs) in place. Like, everywhere he goes was just bodies strewn. It was like in Monty Python when the the rabbit kills everybody. It's just (laughs) bodies everywhere. And you're like, how did this happen? What was this guy doing? Yeah. But but it's so, like, orderly, right? It wouldn't look like chaos. It would look like, well, they're like catalog there's like a grid system he's got them set aside like labeled and everything oh my god okay so i'm gonna make a quick uh shout out to another podcast which i'm sure we've talked about before but one of my all-time favorites uh this american life there was this episode from a a ways back in which they were talking about um like deconstructing crime scenes essentially like how do you work back from the clues that you have and the way they opened the episode was interviewing this guy who talked about how he used to go to like these construction sites and he found he like built a teeter-totter and he put a brick on one end and he's like, I'm going to jump on this this plank of wood and I'm going to make the, the brick fly. And as he jumped on it, he recalled kind of this vivid like slow motion moment where he saw the, bl- the brick flying at his face and he managed to like do sort of a matrix move backwards so it didn't strike him. But he just thought to himself, he's like, what if that brick hit me in the head and it killed me? How would the detectives try and make sense of this scene? We found a child at a construction site, dead on the ground. There's a brick laying next to them. There's a seesaw like how did this happen how did this kid fucking die and it's just the idea of like kind of working backwards from these weird moments yeah yeah what clues are you leaving behind yeah <laughs> with I mean, your death that's a ruin in itself yes exactly <laughs> the ruin of a life yeah <laughs> if there's one thing i learned every crime scene investigator has to have one 
spunky member of their team that at the very last moment comes up with some sort of revelation. That's yes. how it all happens, right? right. I, everyone has their forensic scientists who, when the team is just about to die in some crate, in some fiery explosion, the forensic scientist goes, Oh my God. Yeah. But I found this. And you, then, you yeah, know, you've got to have case. your, uh, that's what everything is right. You've like, got to have right? your, your Gil right. Grissom for yeah. all our, all our yeah. CSI heads out there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how every single case is solved at the very last moment when, when time is of the essence. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, CSI and forensic scientists, uh, out there, write in and let us know about all of your experiences mm-hmm. solving a case at the last possible second. It's, you know, when the timer is just about to tick down to one and mm-hmm. the bomb's going to go off and you realize the secret passcode that solves everything. Sure, it happens all the time. Oh, totally, totally. So another example that I can give that I have written down here is uh, actually um, we're going to do a shout out to our favorite, um, maybe controversial author, uh, J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter. <laughs> what up? Um, but I wrote down the Shrieking Shack as a, a ruin. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Because this is a place that is, it's it's run down and it's stooped in legend. But I like that in the, so once again, have not read a lot of the books. Love the movies. I love um, this recommendation. <laughs> we're like, okay, so first off, J.K. Rowling sucks. Second if I don't know anything about this example and know what to give. But anyway, here it is. <laughs> I'm going off of the films, which is what I know. And so I love that in the movie, it starts with all of these legends around this like ramshackled old place. But in the span of the story itself, you learn that actually the reason the Shrieking Shack has this reputation is because back in the day, Severus Black used to go there when he would transform into wolves and shit. And he would be like, oh, yeah. Or oh, sorry. It was Severus Black. He turned himself into Se- a dog. Serious Black. Severus Snape. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. I, I don't want to do this on air to you, Piper, but I feel like there's a significant <laughs> distinction there. This is good. This is good. Clearly, I'm a fan. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, okay. So, serious Black. This recommendation is the true ruin of, of this podcast episode. <laughs> I am so proud of this moment. No, okay. So, he turned himself into a dog for his friend Lupin because he had a werewolf syndrome. He was, like, he was like, yo, check this out. <laughs> Exactly. But no, Lupin used to go there when he had to transform into a werewolf and shit, and he would, like, howl and, and whatever, and that's why people thought it was haunted, and that's why it got all run down, because he would tear it up when he turned into a wolf, I think, says the movie. <laughs> I don't know for for sure. Wait, is, as long as we're speaking about ruins, I'm curious, when you talk about the Chamber of Secrets and yes. how you enter in through the bathroom, how come when they get to where the, the basilisk is, how come everything's not just covered in poop? Exactly! And just stuff like... <laughs> like no, that's It just a seems really like a huge question. plot gap, like, every... Like, there's a giant snake in front of you, but you're also just covered in poo everywhere. Yeah, right. right. You're wielding a sword. It, it, it's like it's like when um in Monty Python when they're walking through the streets and you have a king and he's the only thing not covered in poop. <laughs> and that, that's how I imagine Harry Potter and the Basilisk of are course, in the Chamber of, of Secrets. Like, yeah. oh, how do you know he's the chosen one? Oh, he hasn't got shit all over him. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. You're you're also welcome. To, you can swear on this podcast. I was I was a little yet. unsure. I, I held. I <laughs> had some reservations. It. It's fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's a cool example because I do like the idea of ruins as a refuge and as a place that we kind of talked about this last week with our locations where we talked about places that are steeped in mystery and legend, right? Where a or place poop. or, or poop, poop steeped in poop. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> a place that would become a ruin because of legends and stories that kind of are built up around it, that people would gradually stop going there and it would fall into disrepair and it would become more spooky as the days go by just because of these stories people or tell poopy. about it or, or poopy, or poopy. <laughs> spooky and poopy. <laughs> um, so if, you know, if you were someone who, uh, you know, who had a secret, if you were a werewolf or a vampire or something and you needed to go somewhere to transform 
transform, uh, that would be a great place to go because you know that this sort of manufactured ruin exists out in the wild somewhere. I think that's really cool. All right, Sam, what's your next example? Maybe we should do like one more or two more and then we should go on to our creations. Yeah, okay. So I we checked off our Hayao Miyazaki box for this episode already and it's been a while since I've checked the Tolkien box. So I want to talk about one of my favorite locations in the Tolkien universe, which is Osgiliath, uh, which is, it's a really cool city that basically exists. It exists along the Anduin River. It's kind of this middle ground between Mordor and Gondor. And it was a really important city because uh, it was the location of the largest Palantir that the the realms of men controlled, essentially. And the Palantir, if you're not familiar, were these these orbs, essentially, that were able to communicate with each other. They were like, you know, crystal balls or whatever. And you could gaze out across your kingdom using these Palantir, and they gave great power to whoever owned them because you could sort of see, you could see what was going on in your kingdom, and you could use it to rule more effectively, right? And so the Palantir that was owned by Gondor, the largest one of, of all the seven, was kept in this tower. And at the top of the tower, there was this sort of room called the Dome of the Stars. And they used this plant here to sort... They used this room, essentially, to stage a lot of their... Uh, you know, they're like campaigns against the orcs and, uh, you know, against like evil men and things like that. And it was an important seat of power in Gondor. And when it eventually fell, that was one of the things that signaled, you know, the, the fall from Gondor's greatness. Um, and it's a really, really cool city. It, it's a river city, which is always, you know, important in any civilization if you exist on the water. And they have this incredible magical uh, sort of resource, which I don't know. I, I think that's a, it, it hits a lot of boxes where it's like it makes sense that this is a really important place and when you go there now it's again kind of freshly a ruin in the story of lord of the rings so it's it's a lot like we we're just sort of talking about where sometimes a ruin doesn't have to be thousands of years old to be significant it can be a thing where it's like remember last week when we had control of that place and now it's just completely destroyed because it was you know bombed by the nazis in world war ii or it's just a thing that we don't control anymore you know mm-hmm. in the timeline of lord of the rings osgiliath recently was a pretty cool place that was very important for Gondor. And now it's just kind of a burning pile of trash. And the only thing valuable is a bridge across the river that they can use to stage battles into Mordor. A week ago, you would have spent vacation there. And yeah. now it's yes, just like, exactly. wow. Okay, it's funny you mentioned that because we literally watched um, the Hobbit, the first Hobbit movie last night. Yes. And um, one of the reasons that like got me thinking about this, apart from the fact that our apartment was just torn up, um, <laughs> was there's uh, a line in the in the first movie where they're after they've been walking for a while, this troop they come across like this run down old like farmhouse and Gandalf makes this comment. He's like a farmer used to live here and he had this, this kind family and everything. And it just really reflects on how long Gandalf has been alive. So like to him, everything is kind of a ruin. He just keeps existing while everything sort of crumbles around him, which is kind of sad. I think personally, I'm like, that sounds awful like an awful way to see the world sort of that's that's a really interesting idea about the relativity of that yeah, yeah. but you know if you have a dnd party that has you know a couple humans in it an elf a dwarf the humans might say a hundred years is a long time because that's roughly the life of humans right but gandalf who says 25 lives of men i have walked middle earth right you know that's the the life of a human is just a blink of an eye to an elf or a dwarf or you know or, or more ascended races like that i think that's really interesting for an elf to say well you know yesterday this is a big deal and a human would be like what are you talking about my my grandpa hadn't been born yet when this happened yeah that's a really really cool thing to explore i like that the blessing and the curse of immortality absolutely yeah 
So I, I do have a few kind of quick lightning round ones I want to go through here. Yeah. Real fast. Real fast, Sam. I'm so fast. I'm so fast. Fast. Too fast. <laughs> Just too fast. Okay. This is not very fast. No, no, I'm sorry. It's not fast. I, I had to take a note here. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I, I had a few that I wanted to talk about. One, I want to talk about Stonehenge. Uh, Stonehenge kind of fits in, I think, a little bit with the Easter Island one, where it's a ruin that we don't really have a great explanation for it. But it's become such a well-known cultural touchstone. I just think that's really neat. You know, that why something has been preserved for a long time is really interesting. Maybe it's a way to tell time. Maybe it's a, you know, a a safe place. Maybe it's a thing where we, a place where we can store something like that. Maybe just a meeting place. Talking about the reasons why a location would be preserved can be really, really important, right? Another one I wanted to talk about was actually a local ruin that we have here in Minneapolis, the Mill City Ruins. Um, if we want to look at interesting examples of how a place falls into ruins, sometimes an industrial accident can be a really cool thing. You know, maybe a wizard is you know, the fantasy equivalent of an industrial accident is a wizard dabbles with magic that they shouldn't really be dabbling with and they destroy a city or they destroy a small town or even just their wizard's tower. What kinds of stories can grow out of that type of destruction? I think it's common knowledge that much like Stonehenge, the Mill City Ruins was built by aliens. <laughs> yes, of I, course. I don't yes. I don't think that's, I think it's academic at yeah. this point. The gold medal flower building, everyone knows that it came from an otherworldly Providence, yes. <laughs> oh my god. I was going to say, I feel like we need to give some context to non-Minnesotans here, just to mention that this was Please. a... Uh, gold gold medal flower. Gold medal flower. The building blew up twice. There were like two explosions and different incidents in which it burned down. But what's really cool about it is that like, so it's built along the river because it used to have these big turbines that they had built and the remnants of that are is still there. They would channel the water from the river into it and it would turn these massive turbines and that's what they would use to kind of turn the mill to like grind mm -hmm. everything the mississippi river the mighty mississippi absolutely and um so now after the second time it burned down they're like screw it we're just gonna like move back away this is not worth trying to salvage but you can still walk around and see like the the remnants of that and it's really cool they've turned it into mill city park and it's a very popular spot for wedding photography and uh senior photos yes <laughs> yes what happened was they built the mill city plant and it sank into the mississippi river yes so they built it again yes. and then it sank into the river okay so he built it a third time i'm so glad that you went there because that was exactly my <laughs> thought too was that mill city the third plant stood up it's the, the swan <laughs> It's the Mill City Ruins is the swamp castle of Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> I, that is also cool. You know, the idea of a place that just keeps burning down or getting destroyed and you just keep trying again. You keep rebuilding it. Too and it, to say yeah, no. You can't give up and let it go. I think that's really cool. A, a city that's built on the ruins of itself, that's built on the ruins of itself again and again and again. That's pretty awesome. They said it was tough to build a castle on a swamp, <laughs> but I built it just the same. 10,000 yes. people died for this loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I love that. Uh, um, can we move on to creations? You yeah. More? Well, okay. So the last one that I wanted to mention actually was our castle from our, our D&D game. Mm, yes. Um, talking about finding ways to tie ruins into a D&D &D setting in an interesting way. Something that I kind of struggle with sometimes is giving my players a sort of base of operations, right? Like I like to play really big sort of sandbox style D&D &D games. And I think that can be difficult to do sometimes if there isn't a safe place for your party to retreat to 
you know, after every session, especially if you have a big party and you're not sure if everybody can play all the time. It's helpful to just have, you know, a keep or a tavern or something like that that's comfortable, right? So in this game, what I kind of established was it was a world where all of these castles had fallen into disrepair. And early on in this in this campaign, which has now been going on for like five years or something like that, um, our party stumbled across one of these castles that had been kind of overtaken by nature. And, you know, they essentially had they had been sent a letter by the king that said, if you can reclaim a castle that has fallen to nature or fallen to this curse that's befallen our land and you can repair it and man the castle, I'll grant you a title of nobility and I'll recognize you in court. And that's, you know, a way to rebuild our kingdom and bring glory back to the kingdom, right? And that was kind of one of the, one of the long term tasks that I wanted to give to our party, right? Um, and I thought it was really interesting seeing the things you guys prioritized and, and the things you wanted to kind of rebuild first and the, the amenities you wanted to install into the castle. Do you, either of you who played in this campaign have anything to say about this? I would just like to bring into context what, uh, my brother claims as safe spaces. Um, (laughs) I missed a week, one session, and I came back and my arm was missing. Yes. So I, I, I feel like these, these, "Quote unquote safe spaces aren't safe after all, and, and, and as a matter of fact, you miss one week and your arm gets cut off. We chopped your arm yeah. off. You're you're safe to do anything but be unreliable. I think is what. <laughs> or be the D and D master's brother. Oh yeah, my god! Of course. Look, if it had been Piper's arm, I would have chopped her arm off too. But you you were up on the block. You know, it was your turn to have an arm lost. So. I just loved it. You just kind of woke up. We're all staring at you, standing <laughs> above you, and you're like, "What's going on?" We're like, "Here's the deal." Um, <laughs> you may have lost an arm uh, since the last time you were awake. You got a little possessed. Uh, we had to chop it, but uh, it's gonna be okay. We're it's gonna like, get you a new one. It's like when Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story loses his arm and he just goes <laughs> yes. insane. Yes. And he's Mrs. Nesbit yes, for, exactly. for a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. That was pretty much the same arc that your character had. That that actually sounds really familiar. For the next week after losing my arm, I just. Can't carried my arm around with my other <laughs> yeah, arm and, and just waved backpack. it around and went insane. Well, Dude, I mean, I it, it. it did kind of spawn a cool new storyline that we were sort of like, well, let's replace his arm with something, you know? I mean, that's kind of a fun quest, right? You yeah. had fun with that. Yeah, it was you? so fun for me. I loved yeah. it so much. So fun. So fun. Yeah. All, all our amputees in the audience write in, uh, tell us how much fun it was for you oh to uh, lose an arm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that was my last big example. If we want to pop into the creation now here. <laughs> I think we're ready to create. I've got three random words that I have generated here that we can use in creating our own, uh, ruins. Cool. And, and I think we, we talked about this a little bit off air, how I think the way we're going to do this is we're all going to create one ruin together mm-hmm. and we're going to each just sort of jump in. I, I think the important things to establish here are going to be sort of the past, present, and future of these ruins, right? So we'll say, what was the civilization that was previously the steward of this location? What is it like currently? And what could it potentially become? So we'll talk about what a D&D party's experiences could be here. Is it filled with traps? Is it in the woods? Is it a city? Is it a, you know, is, is it on the moon? You know, you know, where and what and why is this place the way it is? So Piper, why don't you go ahead and lay those prompts on us and we can just kind of jump in and claim them as we find inspiration here. Okay. So we've got three words here, and I'm certainly drawn to one more than the other two. But the words that we have are the words white, as in the color, uh, giants, as in multiple large people, and fruit, as in something healthy that you can eat that grows on a tree or a bush. (laughs) 
Wow. All yeah. right. Yeah. I So giants is what I'm super drawn to. I feel like we should start by saying whatever this place was, it used to belong to giants or giants were the people that made it to begin with. I do like that. And that really tracks with a lot. You know, I mean, I commonly cite Dark Souls as an inspiration here. And there's a lot of precedent for that in the Dark Souls universe where there are ancient and powerful cities of the gods that were built for giants and then later on humans inhabited them and so it's always these like you know staircases where there'll be a set of steps where each step is five feet you know between the others and the next one is a little tiny staircase for humans you know exactly i i think that's really really fun well imagine you're Stuart little and you're operating <laughs> you're just wandering through this world but it's made for humans and you're just a little yeah. mouse mm-hmm. boy and then Stuart big walks along <laughs> and he's like get out of here you little fucking mouse um, okay, so unless – do you guys have any immediate thoughts about, like, something that used to belong to giants? I like the idea that, like, there's this place and maybe the giants just abandoned it because I think there's that, that cool sort of mystery that we were talking about earlier with some of the places. It's like, why did they leave? What happened here that caused them yeah. to go? Maybe they outgrew it. They just kept growing. They became double giants. Double giants. I'm curious. Became- with fruit involved, what if it was – a civilization of giants that were all afflicted by scurvy because of lack of fruit. Oh so God. they all had to become pirates and, you know, or, or they just had to be nomadic. They had to travel elsewhere because there's no fruit. So that, they all died a, of scurvy. That's a cool idea. I like that that a, a resource became scarce or unavailable to them. They were a super prosperous nation and suddenly they were unable to continue to cultivate the fruit that allowed them to, you know, to maintain this giant size of theirs. Well, one thing that I really like about that that kind of comes to mind is the idea of maybe if you're on your way to this place, like the land of the giants or whatever, before you actually get to the city and the ruins itself, you have to like walk through a whole bunch of immense like rib cages and like the skeletons of fallen giants who have died and you have to walk through their enormous skeletons. Like those are almost locations in themselves before you get to the city itself. Yeah. I was saying picture this too is if you want to try to build up this encounter right like you know slowly sort of snowball this into something more and more interesting build up the tension kind of how in game of thrones they talk about underneath the the red keep they have all of the skulls of all the dragons from all the targaryens past and you know the the ones that are closest to the throne room are humongous you know skulls the size of houses right and as you go further and further in the years they get smaller and smaller and smaller until they're just the size of a house cat because the the power of the dragons kind of waned right if that's something that happens to these giants if really close to the city you have these huge massive you know skyscraper sized skeletons and the further out you are they slowly become more and more just mundane and normal and and kind of human sized right so you're first walking along through this forest or a desert or whatever and you start seeing bones and you're like okay bones whatever i see bones all the time bones. that's not a big deal right Chill. you're like yeah and then as you keep traveling you're like those are some pretty those, they're getting pretty big that's kind of weird right and then you know after like a day's travel you're like hold on a minute were the skulls always that size what's going on over here? why why is that skull the size of a, of a volleyball well all skulls are volleyball sized roughly yeah that's not very big a the giant, size of a, a giant volleyball the size of a giant volleyball <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. Volleyball sized yeah. skulls. Exactly. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> Somebody's like, you gotta get out more. Exactly. Yeah, I think that would be interesting to sort of see these grow larger and larger. What would you you know, what would you come to expect from this place that you're traveling towards now? No, I think that's kinda cool. I like the idea that you know that you're about to reach the land of the giants when you are, you know, you seek refuge from the storm and you're actually staying inside the skull of a great 
like being that used to be like that's your shelter yes yeah what what if you had hundreds of years hundreds of uh generations of giants where the the rich and prosperous had access to large amounts of food and so they stayed giant and then yeah. the poor people slowly yeah. got smaller and smaller throughout the generations I like that. Oh my God, the, because the there's a hierarchy yeah <laughs> the ruins of late stage and, capitalism and then, yeah something yeah, we can and, all relate to yeah <laughs> the giants steadily got more and more powerful because they stayed large and then people got smaller and smaller as the wealth disparity between the giants grew mm-hmm. their stature shrank <laughs> because they were unable to support themselves the amazon society. prime of giants yeah. they, they stayed <laughs> wealthy oh my gosh no i really like that though that idea that maybe even if it's not like a wealth disparity thing it's maybe the farther away that they got from this main city their homeland maybe they just started to naturally shrink and so as you find if you're following a trail of bones which by the way should be the name of like this adventure or this episode you know the trail of bones like the the closer you get the bigger they are and so therefore you know that over the time like as they wandered further and further from their homeland they just started to naturally shrink it's kind of like that idea of like gigantism versus dwarfism when on islands yeah of course yeah where like things either get like really large because there's no predators or they become very small as a mean to survive yeah, yeah. I, I like that i also i have an idea of how to tie the the prompt white into this that i think as the fall of this civilization is kind of accelerating maybe there would be members of it that would desperately try to find ways to kind of kickstart a new like a new revolution in their power try to try to preserve their power try to bring back a little bit of this energy that used to sustain them right but because they no longer have access to this one resource this fruit or whatever it was um maybe they would turn to magical means and some great wizard of these giants would say i can find a way to magically sustain us but it backfires and it scorches their entire city so all that's left is this like white ash so there are places all over the city where they think okay i'm going to build these like magical like focusing points right and if you're near these focusing points it'll sustain you in the way this powerful fruit used to but what happened was everyone who was near there pompeii style was burnt to a crisp so there's parts of the city that still exist in its former glory but there's little pockets of just this like just this white hot ash that it continues to burn maybe to this day so what that draws to mind for me visually is the idea that you would come to this place and I think it would be more effective of a message if like this is a tropical location, there's like palm trees and things like that, it's on an ocean, but maybe when you get to the city, it looks as if it's covered in snow, but it's actually ash. Oh, I, I love that. that. That'd that be really cool. You'd be like, is it chilly here? Is it a fun, uh, you know, tro- uh, anti-tropical vacation? No, it's hot and burnt and shitty. Yeah, it's just the, the ghostly remains of the people who, the giants who once roamed here. It's just raining men. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's interesting. I think it's kind of cool, right? Yeah. So one of my favorite things about um, lost ancient civilizations is the idea that they were once these centers of art and philosophy and science and there was great like progress that was happening here until everything went wrong this idea that you have brought about sam that you know they didn't have the nutrition they needed so they they turned to this thing and it it killed everyone so i feel like that has to be maybe part of the reason why why do people seek out the ruins of the giant kingdom like what are they looking for are they trying to find the remnants of a great science that was almost you know, perfected, but then lost at the last minute. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two ways to look at this, right? Like, is it a place that people seek out intentionally? 
Or, you know, maybe equally interesting is, is this a place that people just accidentally stumble upon? You know, if you're just traveling the seas looking for a, a refuge and you happen upon this island and you're like, this looks like a, a great place to stay. There's like, you know, tree, palm trees. It looks tropical. It looks fertile. It looks like it sustain us. And then you go inland a little bit and everything is sort of scorched and still burning. And you're like, were people just here? But there's no signs of anyone having been there recently. And you kind of have to think, how long have these fires been burning? How long has this place been abandoned? That could be really interesting. Or, you know, to your point, if there is some mystical treasure or mystical power there, what would that be? You know, maybe there would be legends of, you know, this giant wizard who said, I can save my people by harnessing this great magical energy, but he fails at doing that. Maybe other wizards would say, I can find their notes and pick up the pieces where they left off and I can complete the, the ritual or complete the circle or, you know, I can, I can succeed where they failed. That could be kind of an interesting motivation for a magically inclined party. Certainly. I'm okay. I'm certain the more we talk about this, I'm getting more and more uh, King Kong vibes. The idea that like, you know, he's the last of the <laughs> these gigantic apes that lives on Skull Island. And even, you know, this visual of that as you approach this island, you're going to find like in, in the Peter Jackson movie, which I personally love, um, as they get closer and closer, all of the rocks around the island itself, they resemble skulls and things like that. But what if it was actually skulls of great giants who tried to maybe swim away or wade out into the ocean? <laughs> Tommy's laughing. <laughs> Contribute your thoughts, Joker man. What's what's so funny? When you talk about King Kong and multiple giant apes on an island, I can only think of like a hundred apes shoulder to shoulder, like trying to squeeze onto this <laughs> tiny little island. Like, wow, I wish we had a bigger island. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Probably like, killed them in the end, Tommy. See, you get it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> no, I love that idea, Tommy. I mean, that that's something that could be explored here, though. Is that maybe they did? They grew. They grew too big for the land to support them anymore. Maybe that's part of it. Judging based on the movies, I feel like it would take probably two or three apes to be too, <laughs> too many, too many apes for one island. <laughs> too many apes in the dance floor. Too many apes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, I feel like if you're working with giants, you have to expand the island bigger than like your tiny desert island mindset. It has to be more like a mini continent on, in itself. Yeah. Well, I think it's also interesting to think about. You're right. That makes sense. If it was a place that could sustain these huge giants, it needed to be, you know, significantly larger than, you know, just your tiny little forgotten island somewhere in the, you know, in the, in the South Pacific or whatever. Right. Um, so like a Lemuria or an Atlantis, a lost continent or something like that, that you, you know, you never would have found other than through magical means, or if you have a, a map that shows you exactly where it is or a ship that can find its way there. Right. So I, I think another cool thing to look at here is, is there one surviving member of this civilization? You know, Tommy, you talked like a King Kong. Yeah. Yes. Like, well, okay. Yes. Like a King Kong, but like, we're not talking about King Kongs. That was just our hyper, you know, our example of this, right? If we're talking about this giant civilization, you know, Tommy, you talked earlier about the, the Dwemer from, uh, from the Elder Scrolls series, right? And in the Elder Scrolls three Morrowind, you meet the last surviving of the Dwemer of the dwarves. You meet Yagram Bagarn, who's inflicted with this disease of corpus that, you know, he's lived for so long that even his intense magical power can't protect him from dying ultimately, right? And he crawls around in this weird, like, spider mech suit that he's built for himself. It's very spooky and weird, right? What form would the last surviving member of this civilization take? Would they have grown into a, you know, a more kind of bestial like primitive ape-like form like a king kong or something or would they have ascended into 
you know, maybe they, they're beyond their body. If the magic of their heritage has overtaken them, uh, instead of sort of the physical prowess of their heritage, I think either way could be an, you know, either path could lead you down an interesting sort of adventure. You know, I'm kind of drawing to mind because you were sort of mentioning Dark Souls earlier. I like the idea that it would be sort of more, uh, a, a ghost or a shell of this person that used to be and they kind of haunt this last place. Yeah. That actually is a really interesting thing to talk about with in relation to Dark Souls because in Dark Souls 2, which is not a Dark Souls that I often talk about, it's it's still a great game, but it's definitely the worst of the Dark Souls games. There's this really cool concept towards the end where um kind of a recurring trope in the Dark Souls series is giants did things pretty good until eventually people came and ruined it you know like they they had every time giants interact with humans things go very poorly for them um there's war there's some kind of weird conflict or misunderstanding or whatever and in dark souls 2 you find at several points in kind of the last act of the game the bodies of these giants and you jump into their memories and you relive these ancient battles that they had with humans that are kind of informative of the story of Dark Souls 2. It's a really, really cool thing that you get to see how this great civilization of giants was tricked and how they fell to kind of the machinations of the Queen of Drenglaic, the kind of ultimate like evil uh, antagonist in, in Dark Souls 2. I feel oftentimes whenever I see giants in fiction, I'm often very sympathetic to them. I, I maybe, like, I feel the same way towards giants that I feel about elephants or about blue whales. They just, <laughs> because they're so big and I feel like you, I don't know, they just always come across to me as sort of like peaceful, loving, simple things. Why would anyone hurt them? And so when they are, cause oftentimes it seems as if they are, they are becoming wiped out or there's the last of their kind and they're just fighting for their existence. And it's like, just let these big sweeties exist and let them be i don't know yeah. that's often how i feel no I, I i totally agree with that i think that it it's easy for a thing that is large and cute to be sympathetic you, you know not that giants are cute but no not always but sometimes a thing just being large can be kind of cute you know yeah. i don't know I, I think that's interesting. I also, I, so I like the idea of this being kind of like a land of the lost sort of thing. It's a big island that used to belong to these, you know, like island gigantism, um, these giant creatures, um, whether they were man-like or ape-like or what have you. I think that's a really cool place to stumble upon and to try and decipher that mystery, right? I think we could easily follow this down a trail of, you know, like what else would exist on this island? Would it be an island that's inhabited by dinosaurs or like other giant versions of of so creatures again, we're familiar with? That's like, very yeah. King Kong. Yeah, I actually, I kind of want to turn this over to Tommy because I feel like we've been dominating the conversation for a bit. Tommy, I want you to take us into the present. Like, what is something that a group of people would come here intentionally looking for? Yeah, I mean, my first thought is, you know, this would be like a great spot for like a. Like a Chick Fil A or something. Nice. <laughs> Anything could. You can put a Chick Fil A anywhere, honestly, and it'll it'll, uh, it'll do well. Makes sense. No. Yes. For th sorry, this podcast does not support Chick Fil A <laughs> and their horrible, uh, horrible business and uh, social practices. Based on the premise of uh, like a, a lush environment, when when and then when you go deeper into the continent and it's just ash everywhere, I can't imagine somebody would be like, "Hey, this looks like a good spot. We should stay." Like maybe. I imagine people would go to those ruins and they'd try to figure out what happened and then try to get out of that place as quickly as possible. Yeah. I like that idea. I feel like there there should be maybe like a residual 
poison that's maybe still lingering there. Like, if you're there for too long, you're going to get the eebie-jeebies. You're like, this is a cursed place we should go. Yeah, sort of a miasma or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But maybe at the same time, though, you know, all that ash, there's a lot of a lot of nitrogen. It'd be great fertilizer <laughs> yeah. if you're a uh, ship Industrial full of- farmer. Yeah, exactly. If you're a ship full of traveling farmers, it'd be a great place to stop and get, get your next fix of fertilizer. It always seems, that seems to me like a place that is shrouded by mystery and it should stay shrouded by mystery. Oh, yeah. It oh, should yeah. stay untapped. It should be this forbidden land that no one ever goes to and- for good reason right. it, it it had its moment in time mm-hmm. and certain circumstances made it it, it, it fell it, yeah there's yeah it didn't succeed and i don't think there should be outside forces that try to change that it had its it had its moment in time and it turned out negative dinosaurs had their chance and nature selected them for extinction yeah, yeah. no tell me i really respect that take because that's often how i feel in whenever i see movies like this where there's some like stupid group of people like we have to go and usually i feel like the reason is like if we're looking at a king kong for example or at least basing off of the peter jackson version the one that i like um he goes there because he's like i need to film something exciting and exotic that no one has seen before and this place is that and if i go there and i catch it on film then i'm going to become this you know accredited director and i will like get the the claim that i'm after um but then also there are other places too like for example with atlantis if we're looking at disney's atlantis they go there because they believe there's a power source that they can harness and take with them there's always something that like random people are like oh obviously if you're smart and normal you're like (laughs) i'm not gonna go to this disaster zone but the other like stupidly ambitious people are like there's something i can take from this place what is that i also think it's interesting to position a DD quest as something that doesn't really have a traditional resolution like that you know it's i think often a more valuable end to a story that we're not directly you know engaged in you know if we're reading a book or something where we're not actually role playing as these characters we're reading it from a third person it's really satisfying sometimes to see a character not succeed and not find you know, treasure at the end because they learn a lesson. They say, we should leave this alone. We we don't necessarily need to pillage this place because it will bring great misfortune upon us or it's the morally wrong thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting resolution to a D&D story to say, we went to this place seeking treasure and we realized there's nothing here for us. We should leave this behind. This place is better off forgotten, right? How do you build that into a D&D story? You know, finding a way to turn a specific lack of a reward into a treasure, I think would be really, really a, a really fun challenge as a DM. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I honestly feel like I love, I'm still clinging to the imagery of a giant ghost. Like, cause like a ghost of a normal, <laughs> just, just a ghost, but big. Well, no, I honestly think this could be like, I, I am thinking of like the, um, like the land walker, uh, from like Princess Mononoke, for yeah, example. The, the night walker. Yeah, yeah. Like just an enormous spirit that just like wanders and like where a normal sized ghost would be horrifying as is. But if you see something, it's like literally a cloud that moves across the land and it's this enormous spirit of something that has been lost and it's wandering aimlessly. That would be so beautiful and horrifying at the same time. In fact, I honestly, okay, I'm going to take a creative uh, like leeway here and I'm going to say, <laughs> I feel like if you see the the sentinel ghost that haunts this island, it 
at first looks like the northern lights it that's i think how it oh, would cool. appear to you at okay. first is like this these huge lights that kind of move in the it, sky it's kind of abstract and it doesn't have a definite form unexplainable you yeah. Right. yeah yeah, and yeah that yeah. is the ghost yeah i i think another cool thing you could do with something if if you had adventures coming upon this place that's just been saturated by hundreds of years of sorrow mm-hmm. you could it would almost be kind of like like the shining where yeah. everyone who goes there yeah. slowly drives themselves insane like it, it, this what was once a, a thriving civilization it's completely ruined and people kind of that that spirit of sorrow kind of manifests themse- itself into the adventurers to where they slowly themselves go insane the longer they stay in this this set of ruins i like it i love this idea of the spirit of sorrow also an island that drives you insane i mean we've been watching lost lately which is an island that drives you insane if, yeah. if ever there was a, a definitive dis- distinct way to describe the island Island from Lost. It is an island that drives you insane. <laughs> you know what? That idea, it kind of brings to mind a visual that I really like is the idea that, you know, as you were sailing your ship into this island and you're passing these giant rib cages and these enormous skulls that are like breaching from the waves, once you get to the shore itself, you would find a multitude of skeletons. It would be that of giants, but also you would find the skeletons of elves and dwarves and orcs and dragons and other creatures that have been summoned to this place and then they lost themselves to the madness and to the island itself. I like that idea a whole lot. Yeah. Well, okay, so what kind of defenses do we think we would run into here? I mean, it, this doesn't really seem like a place where there would be actual traps that would have been intentionally set up. Maybe there's like residual magical energy that that kind of stymies you on your path through. You, you kind of accidentally stumble upon, oh, a pocket of, you know, explosive energy that's going to blast you if you step on it. But do you think there would be somebody who came here and learned this lesson that said we should leave this alone and maybe tried to stop future people from exploring it further? I feel like a defense that some place like this might have is to turn whoever ventures into this place against themselves or whoever they're with. Like it's that. it's more so like yeah. it's it's a psychological yeah. defense rather than uh, like a sword and shield defense. You know, totally. you have five adventurers and they slowly start to fe- they they the sorrow overcomes them and they start to turn against themselves and their defense is the attacker itself. Yeah. No, I yeah. like that a lot. lot. Lots of wisdom saves. Bring a couple clerics. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll be better off. <laughs> I like, well, okay, one thing that I think fits with that really well is the idea that if there is this enormous giant, like, ghost spirit that's kind of like hovering over this island area is when you're sort of like accidentally caught within the ether of its ghost trail as it moves through it just sort of its sadness seeps into you and it kind of you can't help but be overcome by it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I yeah. I really like this idea of just the saddest island ever and it just it really bums you out when you go there and it makes you want to leave. I think that's really interesting. Like, I mean, that's kind of a silly description of it, but I like that that sort of romantic sorrow, I think, yeah. right? Almost you either leave or you become part of the ruin itself. Yeah. You know? It's really cool. Like the Isle of Insanity. Yeah. yeah. I think that's neat. I feel like now we almost have to challenge ourselves to be like, okay, who's someone who can come to this place and not be affected by it? Like, who is the happiest person? Like, is that the secret? If you have true, like, pure happiness in your heart, could you come to this island and still be okay and leave and not have any effects? Yeah, I mean, Peter Pan style, you have a happy thought, 
right? I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that could be an interesting mechanic to this, you know? Like, if you have a happy thought in your heart that you can hang on to, you are immune to this horrible, sad power. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool, Like I a think. hobbit? And that would be, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just be, like, joyful and, like... All the time, yeah, everything. breakfast and, like, you know, just fun little happy mundane things. I... I I think that would be a really cool thing to challenge your players to come up with, to say, hey, everyone in our party, what's one happy memory you have? No matter how edgy of a, of a, you know, try hard D and D player you are, you have to have one happy memory that you can hang on to. Yeah. Walk across the island. Some sort of like Inspecto Patronum that you have to constantly be casting throughout the runes. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think that's a really cool thing. I would, I would encourage no matter what adventure your party is on dms out there ask your party what is your happiest and your saddest memory i think those would be really cool things to play with and they force your characters to kind of analyze their experiences and ask questions about what you know the things they've done in the past and how they how they sort of process them Mm -hmm. um i think that's a really really cool thing that tells you so much and gives you so many valuable tools as dm you know what this is making me think of? The idea for a quest that would lead up to the quest in which you are going to the island of the, like, the, the giants or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, is the idea that you have to find, okay, so you have, essentially, you're planning a heist, right? There's something on the Isle of Giants that you want to go and claim, but you know, everyone who goes there is overcome by sadness and they die because of it. So you need to find, like, as you're building sort of your Ocean's Eleven team, right? You're like, okay, who is, we have to find the happiest person in the world. <laughs> And that person we will take with us to the island and they will get what we want. And so if you can go and find that happy person and you're like, okay, so we're going to take you to the spooky place and you're going to run through these giant ruins and you're going to go to the center, like the citadel, and you're going to find this thing and you're going to bring it back to us. And you're going to keep all of your happy energy and we'll protect you from these sad, sad ghosts that yeah, haunt this for place. for sure. You just have to find the happiest, most oblivious idiot, you know? Like, oh my god. It's, yeah. it's um, uh, what's uh, Will Ferrell's character? Oh, buddy. You have to find Buddy the elf <laughs> yeah to guide you through <laughs> absolutely you're the greatest ally you could possibly have buddy the elf yeah he just goes through the entire place going fernando or what what, what is the name that he says or francisco francisco, francisco. Oh. Is that what it is? yeah he's got uh ziploc bags full of sugar spaghetti oh uh you're you're ready to go if you've got so buddy good. the elf i like that i like that a lot too and i, and I think this is a pretty well-rounded exploration of this place unless any of us have any kind of final thoughts of things that we think really belong on this island or what experiences here would kind of be like anything else you want to chime in with tommy i i feel like it would be a really cool character development session where everyone starts to understand more in depth um the sorrows of their own life and and then this whatever party is adventuring to this island starts to learn more about the other members of their party because of what's going on it's as you could you could have all the action and combat that you want in this session but i i feel like this this would be the type of island that would be more of a character development session rather than an actual combat session. I totally agree. It it really makes me think, Piper, of in our in our, in our game with uh, Renee and Willa Debarra. Yeah. How you were DMing a session and you confronted us with this challenge where we were able to give up something emotional or something mm-hmm. physical. We yeah. essentially we had to say you could you know you could lose a, a hand or lose a leg or something like that, or you could give up a great secret about yourself. Right. And we all basically chose to devolve 
to divulge the secret yeah. because, you know, it was like early on, we were like level three or something. And we're like, I'm not trying to play a level three character with one foot. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like we, we had uh, this really interesting role play moment where none of us were really super ready to share with each other, mm-hmm. but we were forced to. And yeah. I think that's a cool thing. You know, you know, all of your characters, you write these really complicated, you know, 20 page backstories or whatever, right? Hoping that somebody's going to ask you about it because you're way too edgy to just share on your own, right? right. You want to be pushed into a corner where you're forced to share. Like that's something that I definitely want to encourage all of our DMs listening out there is like force your players to share things, put them in a situation where if they don't tell you something about themselves, Something bad's gonna happen. Like they're gonna die. Like to, it's gonna be bad. To get off this island, you have to play a really revealing game of never have I ever. <laughs> yes, or exactly. Like that. Or, or like, like, don't judge me, but yes, exactly. <laughs> no, that's exactly why I came up with that session. Is because I always give my characters edgy backstories, and I always write them as characters who I'm like, oh, they wouldn't just divulge this information. So I'm like, I have to put everyone in a situation where you either tell everyone your edgy backstory or you die. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I don't know. That worked for me. I just kind of wanted to get all the secrets out into the open so we don't have to play 25 sessions before we've learned things about each other. I mean, as as we probably can all relate to, having a, a nice sit-down chat is like the ultimate combat encounter, right? <laughs> So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If there's yeah. one thing I've learned from D&D sessions with you guys is that no matter how passive the scenario, it always ends up in combat in yeah. some way, <laughs> shape, or form. And it, I mean, at least in my experiences, it's always end up worse for me than it is for the people actually causing the situation. <laughs> so totally. maybe, maybe but, it's you then. Maybe you're the one. Yeah, maybe it's me <laughs> choosing the wrong friends. Maybe that's what it is. For but. sure. For sure. No, I, I like all this. I think we've touched on some really interesting things here. And I think this is in a good place i like this island of giants maybe dinosaurs maybe great apes maybe uh i don't know there's a lot of a lot of cool things going on here and i think maybe this is an appropriate time to just put this down Mm -hmm. and hand it over to our listeners to kind of take it and run with it and if you have any thoughts about this if you want to share with us your uh, you know, feedback on this, ways that you would use this in your campaigns, ways you would improve upon this. We would love to hear that. I think that'd be a really cool thing. Um, if anybody wants to do that, Piper, is there a good place that anyone, anyone could go? to share their thoughts with us. Uh, yeah, well, if you want to have a, a short thought to share, you can send it to us on Twitter. We are at WorldForgePod on Twitter. And if you have a long thought to share, you can send it to us uh, via email. We are WorldForgePod at gmail.com. So that's how you can get in touch if you have thoughts about our pretty blatant ripoff of Skull Island. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so I think with that, it's time for us to jump on over into the rec room here. What you got, Sam? I've actually got I, – I think I've maybe shared this on the podcast once before, but uh, talking about real-life ruins like Mill City and Stonehenge and, and actual places that you can physically go and visit – um, I wanted to share this really cool resource. It's a website called Atlas Obscura, which is, it's a site you can go to where if you're traveling in the world, it's basically just a, it's a crowdsourced list of just weird, crazy places you can go and visit. And there's some that are, you know, if you want to find places where you can go and do ghost hunting or places where it's like, 
weird tourist oddities, the largest ball of yarn in the world. It's essentially a catalog of all of those things. And there's all kinds of, they have a list of every UNESCO World Heritage Site. They have a list of all of these weird ruins you can go to. It's a really great resource to find that kind of thing in the real world. So if you are traveling and you want to just visit a really fun place like this, it's a great place to go. Or if you're looking for inspiration for a D&D game or a story you're writing, it's also a really great place to go where you can find some cool examples out in the real world of these types of things um i i love it there's uh you know user reviews on these places so you can sort of see what other people who have visited them have kind of said what their reactions to you know the their expectations the myths and legends if it kind of holds up to that type of scrutiny i think it's a really really cool resource they also have a book i'm pretty sure that you can read which is sort of like the best of all the examples of all the atlas obscura sites which i kind of love so uh that is my big reference this week is atlas obscura go and go and check that out if you're looking for a fun list of all of these types of places that you could use for your inspiration sweet yeah uh, and with that, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. So, um, Tommy, do you exist on the internet anywhere that you want to share with people? No. Cool. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but, uh, we do. So once again, we are at WorldForge Pod on Twitter if you want to reach out to us. We're also WorldForgePod at gmail.com if you want to send us an email talking about any of your worlds that you want feedback on. If you want us to help you build something bigger, we love taking listener requests. We've done a couple of episodes helping uh, with listeners' worlds, helping them to build their campaigns, build their stories, things like that. That's always so much fun for us. Or if you just have thoughts about the things we've created, if you want to tell us about how you've used them, how your party has reacted, that's always really, really exciting. Um, we've gotten some really cool feedback on Twitter recently from people who have used like our starter uh, session that we built a few episodes ago. Uh, we, we get people all the time who make really cool art and share that with us. It really is exciting whenever we hear that. So please consider sharing that stuff with us. And if you want to support the show, there's a really, really great way people can do that. Piper, what is that? Uh, well, if you just want to write us a review, especially a five-star review, that would just really make our whole day. And you can do that on pretty much any of the streaming platforms that you use to listen to our podcast. It helps get us out there for free, and it makes it so that more people can enjoy our content, and it puts little smiles on our faces. So that would be great. Absolutely. Every time we get a five-star iTunes review, we're always kind of like – Really? Like, people like this? It, it really, like, makes our day. It's very, very fun for us. And we love to read them on air, so you'll get a little shout-out from us if you do that. So please, yeah, consider doing that. It's really, really wonderful. But uh, that is about all that we have for you this week. So we're going to go ahead and let you go. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Tommy, my terrible brother, for coming on to this episode. We really enjoyed having you here. And uh, we will be back again, listeners, next week with another very fun episode for you. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, and thanks, Tommy. Thanks. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.